So we have been spending this year looking at what it means to be a disciple of Jesus and all that is involved in that life. Uh, To be a disciple simply means that you're following someone and you're trying to be like the one that you follow. So as Christians, we are trying to be like Jesus. This is the pursuit of the Christian life. And so if we want to be like Jesus, we have to first think like Jesus. We have to believe the things that Jesus believes. We have to believe what he believes about God and about the church and about ourselves and and the world around us. We believe what Jesus believes. And if we believe what he believes, uh, then we can start acting like he acts because of those beliefs. So we believe a certain way, and then we begin to act a certain way. And so we spent time going through the core practices, what it means to be a follower of Jesus, these activities that we go through, these practices, these habits that we have to help us become more like Jesus. The beliefs that we have impact our actions. And if we believe certain things, we will act in a certain way. And so today, we start in on 10 weeks looking at the core virtues, that if we are going to act a certain way and we believe a certain way, then we will start becoming certain types of people. And hopefully, that type of person is reflected in Jesus, that we are becoming more and more like him. And so, so we go through these core virtues This core of who we are as followers of Jesus, these are the the characteristics that we have. And so we're going to be going through 10 of these. And for those of you who have done the math already, a Fruit of the Spirit series will not be 10, so we're adding one in there at the end. So we're going through 10, most of which are the Fruit of the Spirit. We're going through love and joy and peace and self-control. We're going through hope and patience, and kindness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and then at the very end, we're going to talk about humility. And so most of those are found in Galatians 5.22, what we call the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that will be the fruit of our life, that if we are acting like Jesus and we're thinking like Jesus, then the fruit of our life will look like the fruit that Jesus has, that the Spirit working in us and through us will be reflected into our lives. So to start off this morning, I want us to watch this short video about a man with a very unique job. This is one who has um, a great job description, and it's very special. We're going to look at this story of Andrea Moscone. Cremona, Italy, has always produced sound. It's a feeling, it's a tradition. Sounds reverberate from Italy's tallest bell tower. It's a matter of atmosphere. And across the piazza, in an unassuming building, sounds emerge from an Italian workshop. Living and working in Cremona gives you the feeling of being very close to the the great makers. Matthijs Heiligers perfects a craft that began in Cremona over 400 years ago. This one sounds very good. It'll be a nice violin. This Italian city 
is the birthplace of the violin. The violin is a sound machine. Sounds from a room filled with violin history. This is a 1715 Stradivari. An Amati created in 1566. A Guanari made in 1734. Legendary stringed instruments, each worth millions. These instruments are the very best in the world. All designed in Cremona. It is like an injured body that has to be taken care of. Andrea Mosconi is the caretaker. It is my responsibility that these instruments are all in perfect condition. Therefore, I play them each day between six and seven minutes. Now you can imagine what it means putting the bow on the strings. It starts ringing and singing and the whole room will be completely filled. The Stradivari is so special, experts say it sounds better today than it would have when it was created. Stradivari himself never lived long enough to hear what his violin was capable of playing. And as you can see, all of this is done by hand. If Stradivari would walk into the shop, he would not be surprised about anything. Today in Cremona, you'll find violin shops near the Stradivari Museum. Over 100 violin makers work in the city known for its sound. We start out with big blocks of wood, but the violin is already in there. I can already hear the wood vibrating. It's just waiting to be able to come out and start making sound. Like Stradivari, it's possible the violin Heiliger's creates could make him famous or forgotten. And if my violins just end up being of excellent quality, then my name will survive. And it will survive through the centuries like it happened to Stradivari. In Cremona today, the sounds continue across the piazza. We are trying to make here in Cremona the best violins in the world across the generations. So here's a man who has a job description of two words, play music. He goes into this museum and he opens the case of these incredible instruments that have to be played every day for them to maintain their quality. Or maybe even their quality improves over time, as they suggest. And he takes these out and he, he delicately handles them and he gets to play these priceless instruments and makes music come out of these. What an incredible job, where if you, you treat these instruments with tender care, they do what they were designed to do. That their maker is reflected in the sound that comes out of these instruments. And it's the maker who has such a reputation with these instruments. And so what an incredible job this must be to be able to take these instruments out and simply play music seven or eight minutes a day on each of these incredible violins. How would you like to have a job like that? 
Some of us, yes, an incredible job. Well, you do have that job. We each have this job. It's not that we step into a museum to play violins. It's not that we take the the instruments out and and play these million-dollar violins. We don't play the violin to keep it in shape, but we do have an assignment that is so much greater, so much more important. You see, your assignment is to be a human being, a job that, that allows us to bring out the best music in others. That, that we are able to treat treasured people in tender ways to bring the most out of them, to bring the best out of people. Now, the treasured people in our lives, they could be the ones that live under the same roof as us. They could be the ones that share the name with us. They could be treasured possessions, treasured people, treasured instruments that live far away. They're ones that could live very close. They could be people who are the most frustrating in your life. They are ones who can bring the most enjoyment in your life. It's easy for us to forget that these people are treasures, that these are people who, if handled with care, can, be put, can put out some of the greatest music. And then there are also people who are a part of our daily life, people who are the neighbor whose fence isn't quite high enough or the cashier at the grocery store, or the barista making your coffee, or the slow person in the left-hand lane that I was behind this morning. These treasures are all around us. And so if violins are measured in value because of who made them, because of their maker, then what does that say about us as people And what does it say about these people around us who are crafted by the greatest craftsmen of all time? That if their maker is what defines them as being great, then are we not surrounded by incredible masterpieces? Maybe what they need is someone to bring the best music out of them. Maybe it's that what they need is someone to to take care of them, someone to be a Masconi in their life. And so we ask, God, what can I do to, to bring the best out of every person that I interact with? Jesus has asked a question. He says, what is the greatest commandment that we're to follow of all the laws that there are? Which one should we follow the most? This is where we find the story in Mark 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than these. 
And so Jesus says that the greatest of all commandments is love. Everything falls underneath that commandment. That underneath the commandment of love is everything else. This is the first and greatest. And so as followers of Jesus, we are called to reflect this virtue of love. And this is our key virtue for today. We'll add a key virtue each week. And for this week, we say this, I am committed to loving God and loving others. Now, how many commands did the man request of Jesus? He asked, what is the greatest commandment? And I don't know about you, but I wish Jesus would have just answered the man and answered one commandment. The greatest commandment is to love God. Do we really need to tack on the love the neighbor part? But Jesus continues on and says two for the price of one. That it's both of these that come together to form the love that God desires for us to reflect to others. That for us to, to love our neighbor is loving God. That you can't do one without the other. The two are together. If, if we really love God, then that will be reflected in how we love others. There was an Amish farmer who was being interviewed by a reporter, and the reporter asked, are you a Christian? And the farmer took out a piece of paper and, and listed out his barber and his doctor and his friend and his wife and said, I am not qualified to answer that question. Go to them. They're the ones qualified to answer the question, am I a Christian? That our walk as a Christian, our following Jesus, is not defined by a title, not by a label, but in how we treat others, in how we love others. But it's challenging for us to love others, right? Because they're really messed up. But we're called to love them. But they get under our skin, they frustrate us, they hurt us. But Jesus says, this is how we define what it means to be my follower, that you will love others. He starts with love as the first and greatest commandment. It is not one of many. It is the virtue that all others fall within. 1 Corinthians gives us this beautiful picture of what love is. It's one that's often read at weddings, but, but it is not a description of, of love limited to marriage. It's a description of Christian love, a description of the love that we should be expressing to others. And, and as we go through these, ver these, these descriptions in 1 Corinthians 13, it shows us what the virtue is and how all other virtues, all other characteristics flow out of love. So I found this paraphrase I'd like to share with you. It says, I am patient with you because I love you and want to forgive you. I am kind to you because I love you and want to help you. I do not envy your possessions or your gifts because I love you and want you to have the best. I do not boast about my attainments because I love you and want to hear about yours. I'm not proud because I love you 
and want to esteem you before myself. I'm not rude because I love you and care about your feelings. I'm not self-seeking because I love you and want to meet your needs. I'm not easily angered by you because I love you and want to overlook your offenses. And so we see in here this common theme of love being the source of all other virtues. That as we look at the descriptions of love, our patience, our kindness, all of these things come from a place of love. Love binds together all of these virtues. But how do we do this? How do we love others this way? It sounds great in reading through a passage like this to hear these incredible descriptions of love, but we all know that we have fallen so short of that with the people in our lives. Even those closest to us, those most treasured ones in our lives, we fall short of this kind of love. Let's look at 1 John chapter 4. This becomes our, our, our key verse for today as we, we look at this virtue of love. It says, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Okay, so what's going on here? We don't love other people because they're lovable. We don't love other people because of who they are. We don't love people through our own efforts and our own energies. We love people because God loves us. That the driving force behind our love is the love that we receive from God. God loves us. So do you believe that? That God loves us. Because without that love that God has for us, it will be impossible for us to love others in the way that he has called us to love. Through Scripture, we see the love of God woven throughout the story. Through everything that we see in Scripture, we see God's love and pursuit for us. And he's never going to stop loving you. God loves us. And it's every spiritual blessing that flows from his love. Here's a few verses. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. He loves us so much that he would give us his Son. And if we believe in him, we shall not perish but have eternal life. Eternal life comes from the love of God. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. In our sin, God demonstrates his love for us, and he forgives us. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. God shows us his love through his mercy. 
Ephesians, but because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. His love is life-giving. It gives us a new life. Romans 8 For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That God loves us, and there's nothing that can take that away. That he loves us. We have to embrace that and know that, and feel that, for us to be able to love others. The love of God is a a sacrificial love, where he sends his son for us. Now, we tend to equate love, especially in this culture, we tend to equate love in some sort of romantic way. We tend to think of love as something that is emotional. But God equates love with action, it's, it does something. It's not just a feeling. Now, now, feelings are often the consequences of love, but not necessarily. Love is something that is extended regardless of how we feel, regardless of the emotions that we have. Here's a helpful definition of this kind of love. It says uh, it's, to, it's a decision to do what is the, in the best interest of the other person. That to love another person the way God loves is to do something that is in the best interest of that person. And so it's not a romantic thing. It's not a transactional thing. It's not something that, that you do for someone because they do for you. Is what is in that person's best interest. And so to love someone may be showing someone compassion because that's what they need. It may be disciplining them because they need tough love. It's what is in their best interest. That becomes the definition of love. Let's look back at 1 John and read through this again. So if God loves us, and that's how we're able to love others, let's read it one more time. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. So not only are we able to love others because God loves us, but we're able to love others because God is in us that it is him in us that empowers us to be able to love the way he loves. Because to love the way God loves is not a natural human phenomenon. We are selfish. So to love the way God loves, to to love sacrificially the way God loves, requires God to be in us. And so he's essentially saying here that I will love through you. That God's love will be transferred to others through those who follow him. And so we can try to love others. 
And in us trying to love others, he will live in us and live through us. And his love will be made complete because of that process. That his love is not complete until it goes through us and to others. That his love for us is not limited for us ourselves. It is not restricted to us. It is not for my own benefit. God loves me for the benefit of others. It is God's love through me for others. And so if you are in Christ, Christ is in you. He has been deposited into you, and you are now capable of loving others that you were never capable of loving before. That in our own humanness, and in our own selfishness, and in our own weakness, we cannot love others the way God has called us to love others. But him, through us, will be able to do that. And so, I'm loved. Help me love others. God loves me, and God is in me, and so now I can fulfill his commandment to love others. Understanding who we are and how we are loved allows us to begin seeing others through the eyes of God. And so now I see others around me. I see that neighbor. I see that coworker. I see that waitress. I see that barista. I see that person driving in another vehicle. I see them in a way that God sees them. And because God is working through me, I can love him. I can love them the way he loves them. And so before Christ is in us, we say, I can't love that person. That person has hurt me. That person frustrates me. That person is unlovable in some way. I cannot love that person. But God in me can love that person. And God through me can love that person. Because God is a God who has love that is sacrificial. He has a love that is forgiving And I can love sacrificially, and I can love forgivingly because he is working through me. And so I prayed that God will help me be an Andrea Moscone, someone who can look at others and bring out the best in others. Can we do that? Help me act in the interest of others, not in my own self-interest. Help me to do everything to bring out the best in others. That is the virtue of love that we're called to. We're called to a whole new way of thinking, a whole new way of being as followers of Jesus. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, The new is here. We are in a new existence, a new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of being because of Christ in us. And so God who lives inside of us will motivate us, will strengthen us, will give us the desire and the ability to love the way that we have been loved. 
And that defines who we are as a community. We will be known by our love. I have a, an old violin here. I don't know the story of this violin. Uh, it was given to my mom, and my mom gave it to me. Um, and since then, it's been in and out of boxes, moved from apartment to apartment, hung on walls, and stuck in places where violin should not be. It's cracked. It's missing a few minor parts. <laughs> For those of you who are not professional musicians, a violin requires strings. Um, it's missing a lot. It is beaten down. It is broken. And the best thing that it does is hang on a wall. It will not play mu be beautiful music. It needs some love. It needs some care. It needs someone seeing its potential and being able to pull the potential out of it. And so many of us are like this violin, and so many of the people around us are like this violin. We're broken, and we're beat down, and we, we need encouragement. We need love. We need someone who will see the potential in us and call that potential out, that will take us out from the case and, and play and take care of us in tender ways. And that's what we're called to do for one another, that we love one another. We serve one another, and we act in the best interest of one another. Not for what I'm going to get out of it, not for what's convenient, not for what's best for me, but what's in the interest of the other person. And so instead of seeing others as objects that can be used or seeing others as, as ones that can be manipulated, we see them as God's craftsmanship. We see them as ones that, that were made by God. And so we walk into the museum. We, we take the violin out of the case. We nurture it. We love it. We help it become what it was designed to be. This was not designed to be in a box. It was not designed to hang on a wall. It was designed to make music. And so will we help one another make music? Will we think of people as ones who need to be nurtured, who need to be loved? We need to be thinking about people differently. And so I want you to take just a moment and make a mental list of, of five people that comprise your world. Five people. These are, these are the treasures in your life. Who are the five people that comprise your world, the five people that you're closest to? Think about those. You have their faces. You have their names. The five people that you're thinking about, or maybe it's four, maybe it's six, the people that you're visualizing now, these are the most valuable commodities in your life, the most valuable things that you have. Is there anything that's more valuable than these relationships? Anything that's more important than that. When you're at the end of your life and, and you are left on your deathbed, what is the most important thing to you? What is the thing that, that you want the most? Is it to be close to that car? 
or close to that job or, or have that bank statement in your hand. Those are not the things that you want in your final moments. You want the people that are closest to you around you. And so if those relationships are what matters the most at the end of life, shouldn't those be the things that are most important to us now? That these are the people in our lives, these are the the treasures that have been given to us to pour into, to love the way God loves in a sacrificial way. These are people who are created by God. They are finely tuned instruments. Or maybe they're not so finely tuned. And what they need is someone to show them some love. Someone to give them some attention. They need a Moscone to come in and take care of them. Someone to give them the love and care that will help them become the best that they can be. And so we begin to see people in our world differently. That if you believe the things that Jesus believes, and if you act the way Jesus acts, then you are going to love in a way that God loves. Because he is in us and working through us. Now we all fall so short of this. In our own brokenness, in our own weakness, in our own disappointments, In our own hurt, we fall short of the love that God calls us to give. And we repent of that. And we move forward and we try harder. We seek out that forgiveness. And we continue to try to live for the best interest of others as we love God and as we love others. Let's stand together. We're going to spend some time in prayer, an opportunity for us to encourage one another, an opportunity for us to love one another. And so this is a time that you're free to move around. Please move around. Move around to one of the shepherds down front or in the back, or maybe they're still standing in their row and you can go grab them out of their row. Uh, You can go find a small group. You can go find a friend. You can go find a family. Gather people up and pray for one another because this is one of the greatest ways that we can show our love for one another. It's in the best interest of someone else to pray over them. It's not a selfish thing that we do. It's in the best interest of another. And so one of the most loving things that we can do is to go to someone and say, how can I pray for you? And so that's what this time is for. It's for us to pray for one another. And so I want to encourage you to go seek that out this morning. Ask for prayer. Go offer your prayers to someone else. It's also an opportunity for us to to confess to one another. It's an opportunity for us to to come forward and say that we want to uh, put on Jesus in baptism. It's, it's, It's us wanting to start that relationship with him because we want Christ in us so God can love through us. And so this is an opportunity for us to do that as well. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Jesus and his love for us. We thank you for for loving us so much. And God, I pray that we will be a reflection of that love, that you will love through us, that you will love uh, this world through us. 
God, help us to be open to that. Help us to be willing vessels for your love. Help us to see others the way you see them. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.